Well, it's October, so what does that mean? October, come on, shout it out, October, overflow. And we are overflowing in October. And it's one thing to get excited about this, and it sounds, sounds exciting, sounds like, yeah, I want that, give me some of that. Uh, but you need scripture. Before you get excited or before you start believing quote unquote, believing for this or believing for that, you need scripture to build your belief upon. And this is one of the things that you and I, as people of faith, which is who we are, is what we are. We live by faith. We walk by faith. But even in and among our own groups, we, have you noticed we have things that we say, things that we say to each other and, and we understand what we mean, but People outside maybe our group would scratch their head and say, what are you talking about? And you got to watch over things and make sure that they're actually rooted in the word of God. And it's not just something you've heard somebody else say. One of the things you hear us say quite a bit is, well, I'm believing God. You ever said that before? I'm believing God for this. I'm believing God for that. You might say, well, I'm believing God for my healing. Anybody in here, raise your hand and say, I've been there before. Believe in God for your healing. Well, the reason you can believe God for healing is because he said in his word, you can believe him for healing. That's the reason and the whole reason you and I can have faith for that because he, he's already made that promise. When it comes to anything though, I'm believing for this, I'm believing for that. Somebody help me out. How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing. hearing. Well, that's what believing is, right? It's faith. It's faith. So you could say believing comes by hearing. In other words, if you don't have a word, then you don't have a foundation for faith. You don't have a foundation for believing. So if we're going to believe God for overflow, what do we have to have? Faith, yes, but we got to have the word. We got to have the word that acts as the foundation for that faith. If you don't have a word, and yet you're saying, well, I'm believing for this. I'm believing, for, I'm believing for that house. I'm believing for this thing. I'm believing for that wife. I'm believing for this husband. Okay, where's your word? Because you either got to have a word from the scripture, or you got to have something in your heart that confirms it. And I promise you, if you got something in your heart, it will not contradict scripture. And if you don't have one of those things, you're not actually believing. You're make-believing. Are you listening? And sadly, there's a lot of people that I think think they're in faith when really it's make-believe. They just made something up. You need a word. You need foundation. So you don't need me to just come in here on a Sunday morning and get you all stirred up about overflow, what you need is a word that confirms that to you. So we have that here in John chapter 10, very familiar scripture to us. And it's what Jesus said in verse 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it how? More abundantly. Jesus, thank God for Jesus. He is making this so crystal clear for us. There should be no confusion. 
I can just see Jesus doing this, drawing the line in the sand and saying, listen, I'm going to make this simple for you. The thief, he comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said on the other side, I came that you'd have life and have it more abundantly. Line in the sand. Thief on one side, Jesus on the other. Stealing, killing, destroying over there. Life and life more abundantly over here. Can it get more simple than this? Can it get more crystal clear than this? No. And yet, and yet, people all over the world are confused. And you got people blaming God for stealing, killing, and destroying. You got people saying, well, God in his sovereignty took this, did this, just to teach us. Jesus is like, okay, let's draw the line again. Line in the sand. Can you see the line, boys and girls? Here it is. On one side, thief, thief, he bad. Stealing, killing, destroying. Me, Jesus, no thief, life. And I'm saying it like this because we literally have four-year-olds that could preach this message. Jesus is a good Jesus. The devil is a bad devil. Come on, if we get these confused, something's really wrong. It is this simple. It is this clear. If it was stealing, if it was killing, if it was destroying, Jesus didn't do it. He didn't do it. But if it was life, if it was life-giving, if it was life-saving, if it was life-sustaining, that's him. I said, that's him. And that's what he said he came to do, to give that kind of life and to give it how? More abundantly. Uh, The Amplified says it like this, that I came that they would have and enjoy life, have it in abundance, which means to the full until it, there's your word. There's your word. So now you and I can actively have faith on a daily basis, believing God to experience overflow in every area of life. Jesus did not limit it to one area of your life in neglect of all others. He used the word life. What part of life does the word life not cover? I came that you'd have life, the life of God in every area of your life, to the full, till it overflows. There's your word. You can believe God. Now, what we discovered last week was this entire passage of John chapter 10 is not just about life and life more abundantly, but if you look at the verses that surround it, it's actually about hearing the voice of the good shepherd. Jesus identifies himself in this passage as our good shepherd. And he said, my sheep know my voice. They hear my voice. A stranger's voice, they will not follow. So make sure you connect these dots. We're talking about life more abundantly, but don't disconnect that from hearing the voice of your good shepherd. And he said, once again, my sheep know my voice. Are anybody in here sheep? Are you his sheep? So you should, there he is. Amen, I heard it. Never again say you can't hear his voice. Don't ever say that again. Don't ever say you don't hear from him. Because if you are his sheep, out of his own mouth, he said you do hear his voice. 
you can follow that voice. And it begins with you putting your face in the scriptures because every time you open the word of God, that is him speaking to you. And that is how you become familiar with his voice. And the same author that wrote this book is living inside of you. The same Holy Spirit that spoke through these individuals will speak to you and speak through you as you become familiar with that voice. And like we said last week, we're not talking about hearing voices. People think we're crazy. People want to label us crazy. Well, they think they hear voices. No, we don't. No, we don't. I'm not talking about hearing voices. I'm talking about hearing voice. Voice. The voice of your good shepherd. Now, I said this to you last week, but I, I, I left Sunday and I meditated on something all week, and I just felt impressed with the Lord to make this abundantly clear once again. I'm not talking about hearing with the natural ears. Can God speak audibly? Yes, we know he can. I've never experienced that. Maybe some of you have, but here's the point. You don't have to. You don't have to. Quit looking or listening, if you will, for him to speak audibly. Look inside. This is where he will speak and does speak to every believer who has ears to hear. Right down here on the inside. We got to quit looking to the outside. We got to quit looking for the spectacular. We've got to quit looking and listening for him to speak through an audible voice. If he wants to, so be it. Lord, you want to say something audibly? Go ahead. Nope. Okay, we're good. So where do we look? Inside. Where the Holy Spirit lives big on the inside of us. And what he has said through his word, he'll bring that back up to us on the inside. And we can learn to follow the voice of our good shepherd as he speaks to us there. But there is no living in life more abundantly apart from hearing the voice of your good shepherd. These two things are inseparable. So say it out loud. Jesus is my good shepherd. He calls me by my name. I hear his voice. I know his voice. I follow his voice. And a stranger's voice, I do not follow. I will not follow. Now you can take that confession that I just led you in and say that, make that confession every day of your life. You can wake up saying that. You can go throughout your day saying that. My, my good shepherd's speaking to me. I hear his voice. When you're in decision-making mode, when you're at a crossroads for your family, your business, your finances, do we go right? Do we go left? Do we go straight? Do we turn back? What is it, Lord? You can stand in that crossroads and say out loud, Jesus is my good shepherd. You can say, I know his voice. I hear his voice. I follow his voice. And whatever you do, don't say, I can't hear him. Just quit it. Just don't ever say it again. Cool? All right. Now we saw this in Isaiah chapter 1 in verse 19. Talking about overflow, life more abundantly. You see that same concept here just said in a little bit of a different way. Isaiah 1.19 says, if you are willing and obedient, what's going to happen? You will. You will. Not maybe. Not hopefully, not wouldn't that be nice. You will eat the good of the land. That sounds like living in the overflow to me. 
eating the good of the land, not the bad of the land, not the rotten of the land, not the worn out, worn down, broke down of the land, the good of the land. But again, connect these dots. What did he say? If you are willing and obedient. And we saw from other translations what that actually means. The BBE translation says, if you will give ear to my word and do it. This is what it means to be willing and obedient. It's to say the same thing as to, to listen and obey. If you'll give ear to my word and do it, the good things of the land will be yours. The easy to read version says, if you listen, if you listen to what I say, you will get the good things from the land. So is there a connection between listening and eating the good of the land? Yes, just like there's a connection between hearing the voice of your good shepherd and living in the overflow. You will not experience life more abundantly following some stranger's voice. You will not live in the abundant overflow of life in all these areas of your, of your life following some voice other than the one of your good shepherd. Life more abundantly, the kind of life that Jesus came to give is inseparably connected to hearing him, following him. Eating the good of the land is inseparably connected to being willing and obedient, which means to listen and to do what you hear. You ought to ask yourself this every time we come together, every time you open the word to read, and you close it or you're dismissed, the, the first question on your mind should be, what am I going to do with the word that I heard? What am I doing with the word that I heard? And even kind of grooves, doesn't it? What am I doing with the word that I heard? What am I doing with the word that I heard? You should be asking yourself this question on a Monday afternoon, on a Wednesday morning, on a Friday before bed. What am I doing with the word that I've heard? Am I willing and obedient? Am I listening and doing what I was told, what the, what the scripture instructed? Because if I am, life more abundantly is mine. If I am, I'm going to eat the good of the land. But he goes on here to say in verse 20, he says, but if you refuse and rebel. So this is the opposite of willing and obedient, right? Refusing and rebelling. If you refuse and rebel, you're going to be devoured by the sword. Again, the ERV says, if you refuse to listen and you rebel against me, your enemies will destroy you. So the, again, just like Jesus drawing that line in the sand, making it so simple and clear, here's God making it so simple, so clear for us. Willing and obedient, eat the good of the land. Refuse and rebel, you get eaten by the land, <laughs> right? Listen and obey, you enjoy the blessing. Refuse and rebel, you get consumed. It's that simple. And I'll say this to you again as we get ready to move on. The biggest problem in the world, and I realize what a big statement that is, but I mean it. The biggest problem in the world is people not listening. The biggest, could it really be the, yes. The biggest problem in the world is people not listening to God, refusing and rebelling. 
How do I know that's the biggest problem in the world? Because that's where all the problems in the world came from. You go back to the beginning. God put man and woman in the garden and said, you can eat of all this. You can eat the good of the land. And I don't think we even know the good of the land that they experienced. He said, every tree in this garden is good for food. It's beautiful to look at. It'll sustain you. It'll keep you. Gave them one instruction. Don't eat this one. Draw on the line, right? Trees you can eat, the one you can't. Do eat this one. Don't eat that one. Life, death. Looks at Adam and Eve and says, okay, boys and girls, are we good? Do you get it? Yes, Father. And what they do? They refused and rebelled. Just simply not following instructions got the human race in all kinds of trouble. Now, we're not judging them because we've all done it. But that was the doorway in which sin entered the earth, death entered the earth. Every problem that the world has came through the door of not listening. Not listening. Any problem you and I have right now in life is the result of not listening. But the way out of it is listening. The way over it is listen and follow. Listen and follow. What's my good shepherd saying? What am I doing with the word that I've heard? Can we just try that together? What am I doing with the word that I've heard? Say it again. What am I doing with the word that I've heard? I do feel like we're in children's church this morning. What am I doing with the word that I've heard? So what did he say? If you are what? Two things. Number one, willing. Number two, obedient. And it is those two things together. God is not looking for cold, robotic obedience. He's looking first for a willingness that produces the obedience. Willingness is about the heart. When I say the word willing, what do you hear? Willing. Do you hear this? What word do you see hidden inside the word willing? It's your will. Your will. In other words, this has everything to do with what we are doing with the free will that God has given us. Eating the good of the land has everything to do with what you are doing with the free will that he's given you. Are you using your will in defiance of his will? Because this gift of a free will, he has given to every man, every woman, every human in all of history past and all the future going forward. They all, we all have been given this free gift by God, this free will, even though we can use it against him. Still, it's his gift to us. And whether or not we're eating the good of the land has everything to do with how we're using that gift. What are you doing with that gift? Are you using that gift of a free will in defiance of his will? Because if you are, you're not going to eat the good of the land. But if you will use that gift, that gift of a free will, and you will bring it into subjection, if you will submit your will to his will, this is when you and I begin eating the good of the land. But he's going to let you choose. 
Remember last week we talked about how Jesus said, I came that they may have life more abundantly, which means he's not forcing it on you. You may have it, you may not. It all comes back down to what you are doing with your will. Your will. Let me just read a couple of scriptures here to you and then we'll, we'll keep going. Uh, the Bible says, Jesus said this in John 7, 17. He said, if anyone wills to do his will. See, this is a good picture of what I'm describing to you. Bringing your will into subjection, under submission to his will. The Bible says in Philippians 2.13, it is God who works in you both to will and to do. That sounds like willingness and obedience. It's God working in you both to will and to do, which tells me God's not just, again, looking for that robotic thing from us. He's not giving us instruction from his word, by his spirit, through his ministers, just for us to go, fine, I'll do it. There, done, happy. If you ask him that, happy, you know what he's going to say? No. No. And it will be as though you didn't even do it. Because it was missing the key ingredients of will-ingness. Your will wasn't in it. Even if you went ahead and did it, you may think, well, that's all that's needed, right? That's all you're looking for me, just to do what you want me to do. No. He's looking for the heart. With him, it's always about the heart. He's always looking at the heart. And he's looking for that heart condition of willingness that produces the obedience. So the good news is, even if you've been unwilling, you can come to this scripture and say, okay, God, you said you'd work in me to will it. I'm asking you, go to work. Because <laughs> right now I have not been willing, but I want to be. I'm willing to be willing. Go to work in me to will and to do. And then go ahead and just say it by faith. It is God who works in me both to will and to do his good pleasure. God is working in me right now to will, to do his good pleasure. Well, what is his good pleasure? That's his will. God is working in me to will, to do his will. So Jesus said, if anyone wills to do his will. What are you doing with this gift of a free will that he gave you? I want you to go to the book of Romans, chapter 12. I know you know this one, but let's look at it again. Romans chapter 12, and let's look in verse 1 and 2. Let's talk just a little bit about the will of God. If he wants us to be willing to do and obey his will, we got to find out more about his will. And here in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, we read, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed. Be transformed. How does this transformation, how does this renovation take place? It takes place by the renewing of your mind. Transformation takes place by the renewing of your mind. And that word transformation literally means renovation, which is something we're totally familiar with right now in our culture, right? We're watching things being renovated all the time. 
20 years ago, it became a very popular thing on television to to film renovation, to take a house that was run down or an area of town that was run down and to, to capture on video the renovation, the rebuilding of it. And that same process is what has got to take place in our minds. A part of every renovation is demo day. Isn't it? That's the fun part, isn't it? That's when you get to go in there and just start ripping stuff out, tearing stuff down. Can I get a oh, oh, oh from some of the guys in here today? You like the demo day, the demolition part of renovation. That same thing has got to happen in our minds where we rip out stuff that does not belong. Ways of thinking, ways of believing, maybe tradition that was handed down from generation to generation. But when you find out, hey, wait a second, that's not in the word. That's not God's character. That's not God's nature. Wait a second. Jesus drew that line. I, I was told that Jesus was the one that took that from me to, to teach me something. But wait a second. That's stealing. And Jesus drew the line and he said, if it's stealing, I, he didn't do it. So let's rip that out. Let's get rid of that way of thinking, right? And then part of the renovation is to put something else in. Put in the word. Put in truth. Put in what the scripture says about God and his character and his nature. And let's build something on top of that. This is exactly what he's talking about right here. The renovation, the transformation that takes place, first of all, in your mind, the way you think about God. But I want you to see what's going to happen when you do that. If you will be transformed by the renewing of your mind, this is what will happen. You're going to prove. I mean, you live this out. You are going to prove what is the good and acceptable, and notice this, perfect will of God. Perfect will. I want you to think back if you were here with us probably a year or so ago. We spent a long time talking about this word perfect. You remember we talked about that from 1 Peter chapter 5, how the God of all grace will perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you? We, we came to find out that this word perfect actually is the word complete. So it doesn't have so much to do with flawlessness as it does to do with completeness. He's saying that you and I can live in the complete will of God. That's great news, right? Well, you also have to understand if there is a complete will of God, there's also a partial, partial will of God. And the reason I bring this up is because I believe this is where so many Christian people are living in part of the will of God. But he said right here, you can live in the complete. Anybody interested in living in the complete will? In other words, I don't want to be in part of his will in this area of my life, but over here doing my own thing, living according to my own will. No, let's not do that. Let's, let's, let's live in the whole thing, the complete and perfect will of God. But here's the thing. If you and I are going to live in the complete will of God, it's going to require that we be completely submitted to him. Completely, totally, perfectly. If you want his complete will, you have to completely submit your will. Totally. Um, let me read one more scripture to you. Then I want you to go to the Old Testament. 
This is from the book of Colossians. We'll put this on the screen. Verses 9 and 10 says this, For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and ask that you may be, listen to these words, filled, filled with what? The knowledge of his will. Filled with it. I want you to imagine yourself like a cup or a container and you are filled with the knowledge of his will. If you take a cup and you fill that cup with water, how much room is there left in that cup for anything else? None. Why? Because it's filled. Nothing else is in there. Now you can take a cup and you can put a little bit of this in it, a little bit of that in it, but it's not filled with one thing if it's got several things in it. He's saying here that you and I can come to the place where we are filled with the knowledge of the will of God. And if we're filled with the knowledge of his will, how much room is there left in us for anything else? None. Which means, you ready for this? No confusion. No confusion whatsoever because you're filled with the knowledge of his will. I want you to make note of that word filled. To be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord fully. There's that same idea. Filled with the knowledge of his will so that you walk how? Fully. Fully pleasing him. Well, if you can fully please him, guess what else you can do? Partly. And do you suppose that's happening? Yeah. Like all day, every day. But I don't want to please him in one area and not in another. Come on, is anybody else with me? Yes. We want to be fully pleasing to him. Well, that's going to require us being fully filled with the knowledge of his will. Do you remember what the scripture says about the man named David? What's one of the most notable things that you know from the scripture about David? He was a man what? After God's own heart. After God's own heart. Now, I think a lot has been said, a lot has been speculated about what that actually means. And just a week or two ago, I was actually up at Karis and teaching the, the ministry school there, and we got into some of these things. And I asked them, what, what do you think that means to, to be a man, be a person after God's own heart? And we just went around the room and a lot of different answers, a lot of good things. And well, it means he loved God. Okay, it means he served God. That's good. One thing after another. But the scripture actually tells us what God meant when he said that. Is there anybody interested in knowing what it actually means to be a man or a woman after God's own heart? Because just as it's recorded about David, Heaven records some information about us. The heart of God records some things about us. Now, maybe it's not written down in Scripture for all men for all time to read. Somebody say, thank God. But still, there are some things in the heart of God concerning you and your life. And somebody help me. Is there anything you'd rather be written about you that he or she was a person after God's own heart? Is there anything better than that? Not a thing. So let's look at this. You see these words in the book of Acts. Look at that with me. Acts chapter 13. We'll put this on the screen. Look at verse 21. Uh, excuse me, 21. Acts 13, 21. And make note of what he's saying here. 
He says, they asked for a king, talking about the nation of Israel. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, there was a time they didn't have a king. They had judges and different ones that ruled over them and led them and guided them. But there came a point where they cried out to God and said, we want a king. They said, everybody else gets a king. We want a king. And if you know anything about this, you know God was reluctant to, to do that. But eventually he gave them a king. It says they asked for a king, so God gave them who? Saul. We're going to talk more about Saul here in just a second. He was the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, and he was king for 40 years. Now, verse 22. When he had removed him, I want you to make note of this. When he had removed him, when God had removed Saul, he raised up for them David as king, to whom he also gave testimony and said, this is what God said about David. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Now here's what it means. Who will do all my will. Not just somebody who will do my will. Do you notice he specifically says here, he will do what? All, all my will. What does it mean to be a person after God's own heart? Well, it means I, I love God. Okay, sure. But you know what Jesus said? If you love me, you'll do what I say. You'll keep my commandments. To be a person, a man or a woman after the heart of God means you are somebody who will not just do his will, but do, come on, say it, all his will. Does that sound like being filled with no room left in you for anything else? Does that sound like fully pleasing God? Yeah. Sound like being completely in God's will? Well, to be completely in God's perfect and complete will means you got to be completely submitted to it. Bring your will completely in submission to his. Now, he said this about David, but he said it in connection to Saul and why Saul was removed as king. So go back to there with me and look at this from the book of 1 Samuel. I'm giving you a lot of scripture today. Can you handle this? First Samuel chapter 13. And let's read several verses here together. Beginning in verse 5. This is about Saul. And at this point in his reign, he's only been king probably a couple of years. Not very long at all. And it says in verse 5, the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel. Listen to this. 30,000 chariots. That's a big army. That's a lot of chariots. 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. This is a big army, and they are all coming after Saul. It says they came up and encamped at Michmash to the east of beth Aven. When the men of Israel saw that they were in danger for the people were distressed. This really stressed these people out. It says, then the people hid. Notice this. Notice how they spread out. They hid in caves. <laughs> they hid in thickets. What's thickets? What are thickets? This is basically bushes. These guys are so panicked. They're so stressed. 
They are so freaked out. You got some that are running to caves, some hiding in bushes, some in rocks, some in holes, in pits. Some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal and all the people followed him trembling. These people are afraid too. Then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel. Now, if you were to back up a little bit, you will read about how Samuel gave Saul very specific instructions. Very specific instructions, and they were not complicated. Samuel said, wait for me. We are going to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Don't do it without me. Wait for me. I will be there in seven days. Wait. Is this complicated? Are these complex instructions? No. Wait. Wait. I'll be there. Don't make this sacrifice without me. Well, it said that he set this time, Samuel set the time, but Samuel didn't come to Gilgal and the people were scattered from him. What's happening here? Saul's losing the people. I don't know if you've ever been in front of a crowd and felt what it's like to lose the people. Oh, I'm losing the people. Got to do this. Got to do that. Why? To, to not lose the people. He's losing people. Where are they? In holes, in pits, in a bush, in a cave. He's losing these people. So he said, verse 9, bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened. As soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering, what happened? Samuel came. Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, well, when I saw that the people were scattered for, I was losing the people. Yeah, I know those were the instructions, but I was losing the people and the people were afraid and I was losing them. So it says, when you didn't come within the days appointed, now stop right here. Samuel did come. And he did come when he said he would come. But Saul had in his mind, Samuel's going to be here at 8 a.m. And when he wasn't there at 8 a.m., he decided to go ahead and deviate from the instruction. Now, what's the deal here? Really, is this a very big deal? Because when Samuel gets here, we're going to make a sacrifice. So what if I go ahead and do it? a little bit before he gets here. The bottom line is, right, we make the sacrifice, right? So whatever we got to do to make the sacrifice, let's just make the sacrifice. And if Samuel's here, great. If he's not, it's okay. Why? Because we went ahead and made the sacrifice. And Samuel got there just a little bit later than what Saul thought he should get there. And he said, what'd you do? What have you done? He said, well, you know, look, I was losing the people. They're afraid. They're scattering. So I went ahead and I, you know, you weren't here and I wasn't sure if you were coming and the Philistines were getting together at Michmash. So, so I said, the Philistines will now come down to me at Gilgal. And I, I hadn't made supplication to the Lord. Listen to these words. Therefore, I felt compelled. Therefore, I felt pressure. Pressure. And I offered the burnt offering which really, that's the big deal, right? That's the main thing. 
I know you said wait for you. I know God said don't do this without you. But the main thing is that we make the sacrifice. So I felt compelled. I felt like I had no other choice. I was pressured. So I just went ahead and did it. What's the big deal? Can you hear that in what he's saying here? What's the big deal? Come on, seriously, Samuel, chill, man. What's the big deal? We were going to make the sacrifice anyway. The big deal is God said. That's the big deal. Are you listening? What's the big deal? You want to know what the big deal is? God said it. That's the big deal. And Saul had a list of reasons, excuses, and every one of them you might look at and think, well, that's valid. Yeah, I get that. I understand that. I understand why he felt compelled. But I'm going to tell you, there is never a valid reason to disobey him. Well, what's the big, the big deal is what? He said it. That's, that alone should make it the biggest deal to you and to me. And you might think, well, you know, he, he, he really did what God wanted done. He wanted this sacrifice, but he didn't do it the way God wanted it done. And God gave very specific instructions. Now, I want you to notice what happened as the result of this. The Bible goes on to say in verse 13, Samuel said to Saul, you've done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. And you can nearly hear the frustration in Samuel's voice. He said, look, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. This, God would have done this for you. But now your kingdom will not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Now, here's what's interesting to me about this. We're reading 1 Samuel 13. Samuel, the prophet, does not meet David until chapter 16. This is a prophetic word. This is coming out of the heart of God right now. God is saying to Saul, I would have. I would have established your throne. I would have established your family. And the throne of Israel would have been yours forever if you could follow directions. If you could follow instructions. And you think to yourself, really? He lost all of that because he, he deviated? You know, just some, honestly, it's just a little bit, right? The higher place God gives you, the more attention to detail you must pay. This is how he knows he can trust us. Is he, he's got to know we're going to do how much of his will? All of it. And when Saul missed it, this prophetic word comes out of Samuel and he says, he's found somebody after his own heart. And if you were to ask Samuel, really, who is it? Samuel said, I don't know. But I know this is what he's looking for. Somebody who will do all his will. Now, you're going to see this 
in, uh, go with me to chapter 15. You're going to see this is not just a one-time thing with Saul. This is a pattern in his life. Chapter 15. Are you still with me? In verse 1, <laughs> this is sometime later. This actually kind of makes me laugh. Verse 1, Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now he's referring back to something that happened several years before this when God miraculously coordinated this meeting between Saul and Samuel and he told Samuel, this is the one I want you to anoint. And Samuel anointed him and put him in that place of king. And Samuel's reminding him of this. He said, look, hey, don't forget, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, because he anointed you, put you in this place, now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. What's heed mean? Listen. Listen. What do these two things have to do with each other? God anointed you, so listen. What do they have to do with each other? When I read this, you know what I hear? I hear the voice of mothers all over the world saying to their teenage sons, I brought you into this world, son, and I can take you out. Anybody ever had a mother that said that? I brought you into this world. Bless God, I can take you out of this world. What is Samuel saying to him? God put you in this place and he can take you out. See, nothing's a guarantee. God anointed this man and gave him a place. And he said, if you realize that you didn't put yourself in this place, you didn't anoint yourself, you didn't give yourself this office, you didn't promote you, you didn't have the skill, you didn't have the ability, God did this. Listen to him. Come on, are we hearing this? Do we need to hear this? Whatever place God's given you, whatever place he's given you in the future, whatever promotion he's about to bring you into, you need to realize two things when you step into that place. Number one, I didn't put me here. Promotion comes not from men. Promotion doesn't come from the east or the west. Promotion comes from God. He put me in this place. And if he put me in this place, what do I need to do? Listen. Listen to him and do how much of his will? All of it. Do what he says. Do it how he says. Do it when he says and where he says and with whom and in what way. These are, this is all about being filled, filled. You hear that? Filled all the way up with the knowledge of his will. But I think what's happening so much of the time is people in prayer, in conversation with God, they get a glimpse. They get a glimpse of what God is saying. And somebody hears from the Lord, either by his word, by his spirit, again, not talking about audible voices, but just where he speaks to every believer, if they'll listen, and he says, I've got great things for you. I'm calling you into the ministry. And they say, Bless God. All right. All right. I found out what I'm called to do. And it's like those cartoons. And they just run out the door and they think, I'm going now. Let's do it today. I'm quitting my job. I'm quitting everything. And you know what God's doing? But I just, well, hold up. What? Uh, uh. He's still talking. He was mid-sentence. And if you had hung around long enough, you would have heard him say, and two years from now. How many think that's some key information? Anybody believe that timing 
has anything to do with whether or not you eat the good of the land? Yeah. And if you'll hang out long enough to find out not just one part of his will, but the next part and the next part and the next part, and you just, you, you wait for the, for the leading of the Spirit, and you find out what to do, and you say, okay, Lord, I hear that. Uh, is there anything else you want to add to that? Is it time right now? See, what you find out as you read about David is it says, the scripture says this about him over and over and over. He inquired of the Lord. He inquired, do I go here? Do we do this? Do we fight like this? Do we fight like that? And there were times the Lord said, yes, go up, overtake them and recover all. There were other times the Lord said, do not go up. Well, when he says go up, guess what you can have faith to do? Go up. When he says, yes, overtake, guess what you can have some faith to do? Overtake. When he says, yes, recover all, guess what you've got faith for? Recovering all. But when he says, don't go, can you have faith to go? This is happening. Every day it's happening. If he says, don't go, you can have faith to not go. Because that's what he said. And the only way to find that information out is to inquire of him, to ask, and to be filled with the knowledge of his will. Look at what happened again to Saul. In verse 1 of chapter 15, the Bible says, Samuel also said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore heed the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go, he said, attack Amalek, and listen to these words, utterly destroy all. Utterly destroy all. All that they have, do not spare them. He talked about killing all of them. This is some pretty serious stuff. And if this kind of makes you wonder what's going on here, let me just bottom line for you, bottom line it for you, trust God. Stay on God's side. But the instructions were very clear. I'm sending you into battle and you are to utterly destroy. And he talked about destroying everything, everyone, the people. And he even gave him these specific instructions in verse three, all the ox, the sheep, the camel, the donkey. If you go down to verse eight, this is after Saul has attacked. And it says he took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. Now, wait a second. What were the instructions? Utterly destroy all. Except the king? No. no, all. But he took the king alive and he utterly destroyed the people with the edge of the sword. But, verse 9, Saul and the people. Man, Saul's got a real problem with people. Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, all that was good and were, listen, utter, they were what? Unwilling. Unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king. 
for he's turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. It grieved Samuel. He cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel saying, Saul went to Carmel and indeed he set up a monument for himself and he has gone on around, passed by and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel went to Saul and Saul said to him, blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, oh yeah? Then what am I hearing? What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, they. Do you notice this? Immediately shifts blame off of him. Not my fault. It's not my fault. They. He said, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep. Who did it? Saul's like, it wasn't me. No, 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 it wasn't me. They, the people, spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. So that's the main thing, right? I mean, that's the big deal. You wanted me to destroy the people. That's, that's the main thing. And, and, and we got rid of all the trashy, worthless stuff. So, I mean, essentially, I have obeyed. Really, essentially, how much of the will of God has he done? Has he done all the will? No, part. Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. And I'll tell you what the Lord said to me last night. This is getting serious. He said to him, okay, speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? Did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go. Go utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, fight against them until they're consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why didn't you obey? Why didn't you follow directions? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I did go on the mission which the Lord sent me and I brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I, I have destroyed, utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but the people... The people took the plunder, the sheep, the oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. To heed is better than the fat of rams. Some people think all God wants is the sacrifice. Some people think that they can ignore the instruction God gave them 25 years ago and think, well, it's okay. I'm writing big checks on Sunday and they're going in the offering. So we're good, right? Yeah, Lord, I know you told me to go here and do this with my life and that, that my call was really in this area, but you know what? I, do, I don't think I can get paid quite as well in that area. So what I'll do instead is I'll just keep this job and my business and I'll keep making a bunch of money and hey, I'm, I'm writing you some big checks, God, so, so we're good, right? What did Samuel say? To obey. To obey is better than sacrifice. 
This is what he's looking for. To obey is better than sacrifice. What else did he say? To heed, that means to listen. That's better than the fat of rams. Why? Verse 23. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Rebellion, not listening, not following directions. What did he say this was like? Witchcraft. Witchcraft. To not follow him fully. What did he say this is like? Witchcraft. How much witchcraft is okay? Huh? I mean, God, seriously, I'm not in it that much. It's not like I'm, you know, making potions all day. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not, I don't have that many voodoo dolls. It's like two or three, whatever. It's not that many, God. Fine. I mean, come on, seriously. I, I do a little witchcraft on the weekends. I, I hardly ever go get my palm read. I hardly, I hardly, like rarely, Lord, like once a quarter I go and talk to the lady who reads the crystal ball. But other than that, you know, it's just really not that much. How much witchcraft is he good with? How much rebellion? Hmm? How much deviation from the plan? How much, how much not following instructions is he okay with? And we've all done it. We have all done it. I think back across a half a dozen times in my life and marriage where Sarah has gone to Ikea and bought the Schmergenslergen and brought it home for us to put together. And I get it out of the box and I think, well, that looks fairly simple. And what do you do with the instructions? Right? I could do this. It's just a smergenlergen. And I can, that's fine. I've got that many pieces. And you start putting together. And what happens? You're going to have a very funny looking smergenlergen. <laughs> just because of a simple failure to follow instructions. And to follow them all the way. We have got to take it more seriously. We can't be saying, what's the big deal? We can't be going, what's the big deal, Lord? Right? I, I did pretty much what you said. The big deal is he said it. How could it be a bigger deal than that? He said, do this. He said, do it like this. Do it at this time. Do it in this way. Well, the main thing is that we got the job done, right? No, no. The main thing is, did you listen? Because in this next chapter, God says, I want you to go to Jesse's house, speaking to Samuel. And he says, I've anointed one of his sons. So Samuel gets there and lo and behold, Jesse's got a lot of sons. And here comes the first one, the oldest, tall, good looking. And what does Samuel say? Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. And God says, no, it's not him. Actually, he said, I've rejected him. He said, because I'm not looking the way man sees. I'm not looking at the outward appearance. I'm looking where? At the heart. So one son after the other. Nope, not him. Not him. Not him. Seven sons go by. And Samuel said, you got any more? 
And Jesse said, well, you know, yeah, I got one. He's out in the field with the sheep. And Samuel said, we ain't sitting down till he comes in. So they go get him. And here comes David, 17 years old, ruddy, good looking, bright eyes, the Bible says. And the Lord said, that's him. That's the one. How'd he know that? Heart. I found somebody who will do all my will, who will inquire of me, who won't make a move without me telling him. Now, does that mean David was perfect? We know he wasn't. We know he missed it. But his heart always brought him back. Always quick to repent, quick to acknowledge sin, quick to fall on his face and repent and do what the Lord wanted him to do. That is a man after God's own heart. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand up with me? Anybody desire this? Oh, I desire this. I desire this. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, it says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. The NIV says to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed. Fully. King James says those who, hearts who are perfect. What's perfect mean? Fully committed. Not, Lord, I'm committed over here, not so much over there. Lord, I'll do your will as long as it's this and not so much that. No, come on. Fully. Fully. You remember we talked about what kept the children of Israel, that first generation that came out of Egypt, what kept them from eating the good of the promised land? Rebellion. Disobedience. They wouldn't enter in because of their unbelief and disobedience. But do you know there was one dude in that whole nation that God highlighted and he said, all right, that's it. None of y'all are going in. Except this guy, a man named Caleb. He said, I like him. He said, he's got a different spirit about him. You know what God said about him? He will follow me fully. When a whole nation of people did not get to enter in the promised land, this man did because he had a different spirit in him. It was a spirit that would follow God. Come on, how? Fully. Fully. Is there any men in here today, a man after his own heart? Yes. Are there any women in here today? You, are, you desire to be a woman, a person after the heart of God. Yes. This is how you do it. This is it right here. You follow him fully. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, 
you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.